0: You're
1: listening to the Packer Net Podcast Network. It
0: is time. It is time.
1: They can't be the Packers? No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the PackerNet Podcast Network. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. Follow me on Twitter at J.J. Leahy. That's L-A-H-E-Y. You can stay on all the latest Packers news. You can submit questions for this show. You can also call my Google Voice phone number and leave a voicemail, 231-714-4195. I will play that on the show and answer it live. A good way for you to send in your questions and learn about what's going on. Jair Alexander has reported to Packers mandatory minicamp for the final day. Well short of the minimum number of uh, off-season days he would have needed to attend to collect the $700,000 workout bonus. In his contract, he skipped all of the voluntary portions of OTAs, only showed up for a mandatory minicamp. Here's what he had to say. Do you, do you go to a facility, or is it just your own? No, it's What's literally
0: everything's on? there. Really? The island is quiet to peace, you yeah.
1: Why do you prefer it that way?
0: Hmm. Most a lot of-,
1: of guys work out with four or five other guys with other
0: yeah. teams, stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, man, you know. It, you know, that's just me personally, you know. Yeah. I just like to do my own thing, you know. Yeah. You humans are weird, too, <laughs> you know? the majority of them. Did
2: like the work you were able
0: to get into? Uh, yeah, it was smooth. Yeah. It was it was okay, you know. It was, it was just fun being back on the field, being back out with my teammates. That's
1: all. So
2: why not come to the off-season program? Mm,
0: you know, I think for me, I know it works for me at this point, you know. I'm on year six, so. You know, two Pro Bowls, two All Pro. I mean, you know, I think I know what I got going on here.
1: You you do have financial incentive to have been here uh, seven hundred thousand, doesn't you? Uh, okay, walking away from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, they could raise that up a little bit more. Fun. <laughs> so, so, you would come, What would be
1: the number that would get you to come?
0: Man, to come to off season, I'll probably say about. I'll probably say about. Yeah, I, probably, I would have definitely been here for ten. dollars Definitely been here for dollars <laughs> Definitely. But not, but not 700000 That's not worth it. I, you know, I think I just know what I got going. I think it wasn't worth it. That's so.
1: all. So the one bit of context I want to throw out there, uh, Jair mentioned that the Packers could raise that up a bit and pay him more than $700,000 to, um, you know, work out. Is worth noting that 700000 is third most in the NFL. So only two guys are getting paid more than he is to attend off-season programming. So there's that. Anyways, um, you know what? Superstar players sometimes can be... Uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what word I want to use here because if I use a word that sounds negative to anybody, they're going to take it and run with it and get upset about it. But we'll just say superstar players have big personalities. All right. There's that. So now one final note for Jair's $700,000 bonus that he did not collect. You may be wondering, does this help the Packers tight salary cap? Not this year. So when you have bonuses assigned to these players, bonuses that don't end up getting earned, it still counts against your salary cap for that season. Then, the following season, you get a credit for those cap dollars that were not spent. Now, salary cap rules have relaxed quite a bit. Back in the uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, there was a, a big thing going on called NLTBE, Bonuses, not likely to be earned bonuses. And this was all a salary cap saving move. Uh, this is something that the Packers like to take advantage of uh, a lot of the time. You know, they would bake stuff in where, hey, you know, backup quarterback, if you uh, have an eight game or an eight touchdown game, you know, we're going to pay you $10 million bonus. <laughs> And sure enough, your backup quarterback never ends up having an eight touchdown game. Is it completely ridiculous? Yes. But what it did is that if you were in a situation where the Packers often were, where you were under budget for the year, uh, you know, by 10 million bucks, you would lose that cap space that you had not spent unless you structured it in the form of these bonuses. And so then Uh, the uh, bookkeeping would show that you had spent all of your salary cap for that year, but then the next year would roll around and you would report to the NFL. Oh my goodness. Can you believe that Seneca Wallace didn't have an eight touchdown game? Crazy. Well, I guess we need a refund for that $10 million that we paid against the salary cap last year that Seneca Wallace didn't actually end up earning. So we need that back this year so then you actually spend it on real players, um, you know, that you want to go out and acquire in free agency or whatever the case may be. So uh, some remnants of this are still in place to the effect where, uh, you know, the Packers were hoping that Jair would attend OTAs. And this is why they structured this and, and offered him the $700,000, which he decided it was not not worth it to him to show up for some reason. Um, but so, but the Packers don't get that money back until 2024. So the money, you know, there, the, the, there's no actual money moving around here. The, the $700,000 that would have gone to Jair just sits in the Packers bank account. But when they're reporting their salary cap spending to the NFL, it is baked in there. Like, Hey, here's how much total, um, we, uh, gave out in workout bonuses to the guys and then in twenty twenty four, they're gonna get a a you know, basically a refund from the NFL saying, Hey, you got seven hundred thousand dollars extra that you can go ahead and spend on players for twenty twenty four. So there you go. It doesn't really help us in the short term, does help us in the long term. If you were to ask the Packers, they would say they would prefer that Jair had just showed up to OTAs, um, and that they could have paid that money to him. We know that because they offered it to him in the first place. Uh, Sounds like he's um, been tearing it up at mandatory minicamp, uh, multiple interceptions, um, very loud. I got a bunch of notes here. I should go ahead and read through a couple of them of Jair interacting with various uh, players on offense from Ryan Wood. A forgettable two-minute drill for Packers offense to end minicamp. On second and four from the 45 with 19 seconds left, Jordan Love badly underthrows Christian Watson down the left sideline. Jair Alexander, who is taking practice seriously today, easily picks it and heads the other way. Uh, Looks like I lost the note, but there was a follow-up that said that uh, he let Jordan Love hear it and that the two of them are going to be going at it for a lot of the summer as well. Here we go. Tight coverage from Jair Jair Alexander against Romeo Dobbs on an out route to the left sideline. Forces an incompletion. Alexander lets Dobbs hear it after the drop. Dobbs waves him off on his way back to the huddle. Going to be a fun battle in camp. Speaking of battles in camp, Yasha Nyman, first up at right tackle today. Still very much a competition between him and Zach Tom. I will, again, beat the drum of saying I don't like Zach Tom at right tackle. I love Zach Tom. I don't think it's a good spot for him to be. I really don't. On the right side of the line, you want your bruisers and your maulers. On the left side of the line, you want your technicians, and that is exactly what Zach Tom is. He's also a little bit smaller, definitely more on the athletic side. He just profiles really perfectly as a left tackle, which is where he's always excelled. Now, we have a left tackle. David Bakhtiari is not getting moved anywhere, but I would like to see uh, Yash sorry, Zach Tom, either at left guard or at center. I think the last place I would be okay with putting him is right guard. I really don't want him at right guard. I think that as talented of a, a an athlete and a, a smart football player as he is, I still think right guard is the single worst spot on the offensive line that you could stick him. But right behind that I have right tackle. I just I think that there are three spots that it makes sense to put him on I think that you know, A lot of the time when you are moving guys around, you can either do it out of a position of strength or a position of weakness. If you have a good baseline of talent at one spot, but you think that a young guy just might be really special and you move him there, that is moving a guy out of a position of strength. Moving a guy out of position of weakness is something we've seen a bunch of the time uh, over the last few years along the offensive line here in Green Bay where you have a guy missing or you just don't have a guy on the roster who can do a certain job. And more often than not, over the last three, really four years, that spot has been right tackle. Ever since we lost Brian Balaga, we just have not had a right tackle. Billy Turner competed with – I'm already starting to forget the guy's name – Dennis Kelly, thank you, brain, (laughs) for the right tackle job. Billy Turner kind of won it by default. I thought he played really poorly at right tackle just compared to the rest of the offensive line. Routinely, Billy Turner was the guy giving up the most pressures, the most hits, the most, most sacks, and tackles for loss. They were all coming from Billy Turner every single week. Now, with Billy Turner gone, of course, we have rotated Elton Jenkins, I should say an extremely injured Elton Jenkins, through right tackle along with uh, Yash Nyman last year. And I thought you pretty clearly got the best production out of Yash Nyman last year. Now, I think you can do better than Yash this year. I'm not sure better is Zach Tom. Because I think that, Yash is just physically and from a play style, I think he's better suited to play right tackle than Zach Thomas. I think Zach Thomas is a superior left tackle and center and has done a, a superb job at left guard when given the opportunity. Again, those are the three spots I would like to see him in. However, if he really shows out, and it does not sound like he's really doing that, kind of just keeping pace with Yash Nyman, but if he were to really show out and prove, hey, the assignments of a right tackle do come naturally to me, it is something that I can excel at, I think you can upgrade from Yash. I, I like the baseline of of uh, production that Yash affords us. I think you can improve on that. I would like to see... Elton back at right tackle this year. I, if you listened to my podcast at all last year at this time of year, you may recall, I was very repetitive, very loud, very frustrated about this Elton to right tackle BS that we were trying a year ago. And I said, it doesn't make sense to put an injured Elton Jenkins at right tackle. It doesn't make any sense. His knee is compromised. And even if it's fully healthy, he still doesn't trust it. He's going to be a limited athlete. He needs to build up the confidence back in that knee. Put him on the inside. Put him at left guard. That's the only spot where he's going to excel. I said that. I said that back in May and June, both on this podcast and on my other podcast that I used to do, No Huddle Radio over the Packers Talk Radio Network. Um, again and again and again, I said... You can't put an injured Elton Jenkins at right tackle. It's not what's best for the Packers. It's not what's best for Elton Jenkins. Nobody should have been surprised at how that played out. He was terrible at right tackle. They put him back at left guard. He's in a phone booth. He doesn't have to be as athletic. He's not having to put so much uh, weight and exertion on that compromised knee. Let him build the strength back up in his leg. Let him build his confidence back up. And toward the end of the year, you kind of had old Elton Jenkins back again. And I think now, 365 uh, days later, years later, you're in a very different situation. Put Elton at right tackle. You have – there's a lot of people who are frustrated by the limited number of options we have for guards. And I just – kind of disagree with the way that we're classifying a lot of these guys. Yes, Elton is a fantastic left guard. Yes, Elton was a just completely elite left tackle for half a year when we were missing David Bactieri before Elton tore his ACL. Let's try him at right tackle now that he's healthy. He's a different guy. And I said a year ago, the guy who is currently walking around wearing number 74 answering to the name of Elton Jenkins is not Elton Jenkins. He is a recovering ACL patient who used to have Elton Jenkins skill, skill set and talent. I think he's back to being that guy now, or, you know, 90% of the way back to being that guy. Let's put him out at right tackle, give him a shot. He really has not ever played out there. He's very smart. I think he can handle it. Probably a lot better than Zach Tom can. You have that Yash Naiman floor that you can fall back on. In a perfect world, Yash Naiman is not one of your five best offensive linemen. He is your sixth offensive lineman. He's the guy who comes in and is your swing tackle, takes reps at left or right tackle, depending on who may be injured for a play or a series or a half or a game or a couple games. That you really feel good about having him on your roster. You really like him. And it's worth paying a little bit to keep him around. That's fine. And if you have to play him as one of your starting tackles, I think you're fine with that. at left or right tackle. I think you really are. He's not one of the premier super-duper talented tackles in football. He certainly is good enough to get the job done. But let's see if we can find a starter Who is better suited to that job than Zach Tom is, who is just like custom built to play on the left side of the line and has a lot of experience at center. Let's try Elton Jenkins over there. I think he could be the answer. More notes from training camp. Anders Carlson, rookie kicker, I believe, unless I missed something. I think he's the only, still, I think he's still the only kicker on the roster right now. He made 11 of 12 field goals in the last two days, including a perfect six today. Yesterday's longest kick that he made was from the 54. Today it was from the 42, so not as long. But he was perfect. He made two extra points, and then he kicked from the 42, the 40, the 39, and 37. So it's pretty good. I still very much believe that we should bring in another kicker to compete with him. I'm not saying I don't have confidence in Anders, but most years we had a, a another kicker in camp competing against Mason Crosby, who you knew was going to make the, the roster every single year, and I think it was good for Mason. I think we have pretty demonstrably proven that having a – Kicking competition over the summer is good for whichever kicker wins the job. That yes, there is an aspect of this of hey, let's just make sure that there isn't somebody better out there, but also let's see if we can improve the guy who does win the job. Okay, my good friend Paul Brettel uh, assembled a list of what he calls quick observations from Packers' second twenty twenty three minicamp practice. I have a lot of these notes myself, but I like Paul. We're going to promote what he does. Make sure you check him out on Packers Wire over at usatoday.com. All right. According to Ryan Wood, these are the notes from Paul Brettel, uh, who did the attendance accounting, Dallin Levitt, Eric Stokes, Tarverius Moore, Rashawn Gary, Jake Hansen, who cares about Jake Hansen, Tyler Davis, Grant DuBose, and Chris Slayton did not practice. They were all present. Jonathan Garvin was participating today. A few notable players on the first team kick return unit included Justin Hollins, a guy who I would say probably is roster bubble at the moment, just due to the immense amount of depth that we have in the edge room. I like Justin Hollins, would love to see him make the roster again, but man, we got a lot of bodies in that room. Patrick Taylor, Corey Ballantine, Corey Ballantine. Uh, I would say probably skating on – I mean, I would say skating on thin ice, but I I guess people might take that in a super negative way and say like he's been doing the wrong stuff. I just mean I don't don't think that he can afford to not impress given how many young guys are on this roster right now. Lucas Van Ness, J.J. Anagbare, and Tariq Carpenter, another guy hoping to make the roster. Uh, We talked last week about how he just got moved to middle linebacker, along with continuing to take starter snaps at edge rusher Justin Hollins. By the way, we picked up Hollins midseason last year from the Rams, ended up absolutely killing it on defense for us in Rashawn Gary's absence and also was a big factor on our special teams last year. Uh, Hollins is also contributing on special teams this year in OTA so far. Running backs coach Ben Sermons said that special teams would play a key role in deciding who the third running back is. You may recall nobody won that job last year. There are only two running backs. So uh, just keep that in your mind with Patrick Taylor, who was um, on the first team kick return unit. With Ballantine, Corey Ballantine, he was a core special teams player from week 10 on last season. Ryan Wood said he's someone who he would consider a favorite for one of the final cornerback roster spots. I, I talked at length last week about how I think Carrington Valentine, very similar name, same position, is probably one of his biggest threats uh, as a rookie draft pick. Goody really prioritizes keeping his draft picks. Um, and somebody who has caught the attention of Matt Lafleur. I've got notes here from uh, Matt Lafleur. I guess I just closed it. I must have closed it. Um, but but that Matt Lafleur was um, here. We here we go. Uh, rookie Carrington Valentine uh, Lafleur said last week has done an unbelievable job through OTAs. And here's a video of him out there working through some some drills here. Carrington Valentine. Looks smooth out there, Matt Lafleur said last week. He's done, quote, an unbelievable job. So I would say for Corey Ballantyne, uh, it's good that he's getting reps on the first team kick return unit. I think that he needs to impress. Definitely you want to be best friends with Rich Passaccia here. I think he can give you a roster spot if you are a young guy like uh, Ballantine. And you got to watch out for Carrington Valentine. I, I think that those two guys <laughs> it just cracks me up how similar their names are, playing the same position, both young corners, and the fact that they probably are competing for the same roster spot. So that, that that's gonna be one for the ages. It's gonna it reminds me of um, we had Malik Taylor and Malik Tyler competing for the final uh, wide receiver roster spot, along with. Jake Kumaro and then, of course, Malik Taylor ended up winning that job. But, yeah, Malik Taylor and Malik Tyler at the same time. Uh, so, Packers like to do that. <sighs> Just to mess with us podcasters and the loyal listeners of podcasters who like to laugh at us for stumbling over our words.
2: We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So, U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones About seeing what you could potentially get. Right now you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arena club.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. Ten percent off a four hundred dollar slab pack. That's forty bucks right there. Anyways, that's arena club.com slash packdaddy for ten percent off your first purchase.
1: The Packers punt coverage and return units got some work done today. Returning punts were either Keyshawn Nixon or Jaden Reed, who had 37 career punt return attempts at Michigan State, averaging an impressive 15 yards per return. Green Bay has two punters on the roster right now, with Daniel Whalen joining Pat O'Donnell this offseason. Now, O'Donnell seems firmly to be in the lead for the starting punter. However, both guys have been taking turns holding on field goals for kicker Otters Carlson. Worth noting, Daniel Whalen seems to be doing a good job. Uh, there was a low snap from the long snapper, and Dan Whalen managed to secure it firmly. Did a really good job of holding it, uh, you know, with the laces point in the right direction, and the field goal was good. So be interesting to see. Uh, This is a note from Paul Bretel. He said, today was my first time seeing punter Dan Whalen, and he does pack some power. If you are trying to remember who Dan Whalen is, we picked him up from the XFL. He was turning heads as a punter for the XFL. He does have experience kicking as well. Okay. Scrolling on here, Jordan Love and the other quarterbacks were working through progression drills today. This, along with footwork and movement drills, were key points of emphasis for love over the past year under quarterbacks coach Tom Clements. And by the way, I yes, he's under contract with the Packers, but, 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 but. I still just find it really interesting when you consider all of the old veteran players who followed Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Tom Clement stayed with the Packers to work with Jordan Love. I just find that interesting. Joe Barry trying out a unique 5-1-5 look on defense with Quay Walker at linebacker. In Tarveris and Moore's absence at safety, Jonathan Owens was the clear third option the last two days. That is very interesting information for anybody who's trying to put together a... Uh, An early 53-man roster projection. Jonathan Owens. uh, Sounds like he is your safety number five. So you got Darnell Savage, Rudy Ford, Tarverius Moore, and then Jonathan Owens. I don't think we should have really expected anything else. I know folks are high on Anthony Johnson, and as a rookie draft pick, obviously I think he has a good chance of making the roster, but he also needs to steal a roster spot at this point from one of those four guys. Now we'll see you know, what's going on with Ravarius Moore. Are there health issues there? If so, I think Anthony Johnson has that fourth safety job probably locked up. But Jonathan Owens, of course he is Simone Biles' husband. This is the guy – to keep an eye on, I think you know, and, and he took a, a humongous number of snaps at at starting safety for the Houston Texans last year. I think this maybe is the guy um, who's who's maybe going to challenge for a possible potential starting job at safety. I still think it's unlikely that anyone unseats. Darnell Savage, he's just the most physically gifted safety that we have. All of his issues really are between the ears. So if you can tighten up the mental mistakes for Darnell Savage, he's the clear, clear number one option, despite how unpopular he is with the fan base at the moment. I, I, I think that it's going to be very difficult to unseat him. Rudy Ford, on the other hand, although he had a couple of really good games on defense for the Packers and was an outstanding special teams player and will certainly make the roster. I don't think that his role as a starting safety is set in stone. I think that he is the presumptive safety number two as of right now. And I think that that job is very stealable. Uh, His big uh, issue last year on defense was consistency if he can clean that up with an extra year uh, in the scheme and understanding his role here, well, then that's it. And he has a nice high ceiling that you'd like, but Jonathan Owens right there uh, to me, Tarvarius Moore, although he uh, is, is getting some significant reps ahead of Jonathan Owens. I think maybe some of that comes from the fact that he has kind of been around a little bit longer. Uh, I think that Jonathan Owens, as a newer pickup here, can really take advantage of an opportunity like this Tarverius Moore injury to surpass him and never give up that spot. So we'll see what happens here. Moore's only been gone for two days so far, but I I think even just a a two-day absence is enough that Jonathan Owens could capitalize on it should he take advantage of that. Now, Malik Heath has been turning heads everywhere. Uh, I am forced to start taking him a little bit more seriously. Uh, He has made a bunch of significant plays in most of the practices. So if you're looking for what undrafted free agent is most likely to make the 53-man roster, obviously you have uh, Brenton Cox. Is it Cox or Brenton Strange? Hang on. Sorry, sometimes you just get a name that's just like stuck in your head. Brenton Cox is a uh, tight end for the Jaguars out of Penn State, but Brenton uh, Brent, Brenton Strange is the tight end. Brenton Cox is a packer. He is the uh, uh, outside linebacker who got kicked off of Georgia and uh Florida. But the other guy, um, you know, besides the very talented and somewhat troubled uh Brenton Cox, Malik Heath turning heads at wide receiver. I think there's a just a ton of bodies in that room. It's going to be very hard for any of those of those depth receivers to challenge for a roster spot. You have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Tay Wicks. I think those four guys are absolute like set in stone roster locks. I think they would have to commit a felony to not make the roster at this point. Then you have just a pile of guys who are challenging for a fifth, maybe sixth, highly unlikely. There's seven, uh, roster spots to go. at uh, wide receiver. Why uh, five wide receivers is the number you should assume we have. We often keep six depends on if there are six deserving, and occasionally we keep seven. So here are the guys competing for that job. Least likely you have Jadakas Bonds. Uh, the guy, not very gifted physically. Hasn't really done anything in the NFL uh, since he got here a year ago. Uh, just does not have very much going for him. Then you have uh, probably Deuce Watts, a guy I really like. But again, somewhat physically limited as an athlete and has not made any splash plays that we've really heard of through voluntary OTAs or mandatory minicamp. Then you get into the next tier of guys who previously we would have considered unlikely, but now they are turning heads. You have Jeff Cotton and Malik Heath and you have Bo Melton. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Bo Melton after we finish these updates. uh, But, some stuff to think about with Bo Melton. Just put that in your back pocket. We're going to come back to it. And then in the final tier, you have the draft picks. You have Samari Toure and Grant DuBose. Back-to-back uh, seventh-round draft picks from 2022 and 2023. So kind of three uh, distinct tiers of guys. The the draft picks who uh, really would have to, to lose a roster spot, I think. Uh, then you have the guys who have been making splash plays who seem like maybe they're positioning positioning themselves to steal a roster spot from DuBose or Touré. And then you got the guys who kind of need to do something if they're going to stick around. So uh, Malik Heath uh, made two significant plays on Wednesday. One came during the 7-on-7 session where, again, he was working with primarily the starters The other during a two-minute drill on an in-route against Rasul Douglas. Heath is an undrafted rookie, but there is something to be said about a receiver who puts up close to a 1,000 yards in the SEC, averaging 16 yards per catch, which Heath did at Ole Miss in 2022. So, Malik Heath, the guy to pay attention to, see if he can continue to show out and impress, see what he can do on special teams. And see what we think about his grasp of the playbook. Alright, anything else that we need to cover before we do the Bo Melton thing? I think we may be good. Uh, Just a boatload of notes on Luke Musgrave. But you guys already know what's going on with Luke Musgrave. You're already excited about him. Here's a Danny Etling note. And I just don't care about it. We're not even going to read it. Okay, we're going to talk Bo Melton. All right, one more note. This comes from Kyle Malzahn. Wide receiver Malik Heath is going to be really interesting to watch once training camp starts. He's been mixed in with the starters so far and has shown flashes. I guess a follow-up from Kyle here about Samari Toure, since we are talking about uh, wide receivers. There's been a lot of talk from the Packers brass uh, and by Packers brass, he specifically means Matt LaFleur and Brian Gudikins, who each brought up Samari once, as far as I know. Impressing people as he heads into year two. I think we saw a glimpse of that today when he made this dive catch. I'm watching it on repeat. It's a 12 second clip. He's, uh, running a nice little post route. Sideline catch. Uh, good job tracking the ball through the air. He does fall down as he catches it. Uh, I, I don't know. People post, things that they think are highlights and I just sometimes have questions about them. Like this is just a drill in shorts. There's no defenders anywhere around you. The ball is thrown within bounds, not out of bounds. And you fall down as you catch it. I mean, you should be able to run all the way to the end zone. There's no defenders there. So I I just don't know. I'm not easily impressed by wide receivers. I'll just say that. And you know, people get excited about this clip because he's kind of not looking where he's going. He's tracking the ball through the air and makes a diving catch. But the ball was well thrown. It wasn't like it was super overthrown. He should have been able to catch this in stride and keep going. Instead, he falls down. I just don't really see why it's exciting, but whatever. Okay, Bo Melton. I'm serious this time. So we are again promoting some work from Paul Brettel uh, just because I like his stuff. And here's something else he wrote that I liked. Bo Melton. <laughs> Ran a 4 4 ranked 26th in average yard after catch uh, last season uh, over at Rutgers, and averaged 7.5 yards per catch in college. It should be noted he didn't rank 26th at Rutgers. He was at Rutgers when he ranked 26th <laughs> in the country. A motion-slash-gadget player brings big play potential, but also can create opportunities for others with the attention they draw and mismatches created. What's he talking about? He wrote an article called, Can Bo Melton and his speed carve out a gadget-like role in the Packers' offense? So the wide wide receiver room is very crowded, and it's quite possible that you already have six or maybe even seven guys who are kind of locks to make the roster as just true wide receivers. But think about Tyler Irvin. He was a... Wide receiver, running back, hybrid player who was used for a while on offense as a motion guy, as a gadget player. Bo Melton, extremely speedy. I've made the case before about why we should consider keeping him around as a backup option to Christian Watson should Christian Watson miss some time. Because we saw last year how much... The offense got compressed when you didn't have a deep threat. You also saw that at the tail end of the 2021 season when Marquez Valdez scantling missed time due to injury. You were left with a limited and compressed offense that couldn't stretch the field, couldn't challenge defenses vertically. Bo Melton is, I don't think, supremely talented, but he's extremely fast. I think he's worth keeping around for that speed alone, in a limited role where you just say, listen, Christian Watson's in the blue tent. Just go run some go routes for us for a, you know, a, a series or two series here. In the meantime, could you have him running jet sweeps? Could you have him, uh, you know, just doing motion. We are expecting to see more plays with Jordan love under center. Gives you the opportunity to, Work in a lot of pre and post snap motion, create mismatches and, and force the defense to make a decision about how to stack, you know, to the left or the right and force them to be wrong no matter what they choose. Paul Bredel is proposing, Hey, look, this is a more valuable role than just another, um, athletic wide receiver who spends a lot of time Basically, just uh, uh, you know, blocking on special teams. You know, the, the Malik Taylor role. The uh, well, I can't really say the Toure role because he wasn't allowed to play special teams last year. But you get the picture of the really depth wide receiver who doesn't get any actual playing time on offense. The Packers have been kind of missing this motion guy over the last couple of years. They used Christian Watson for a while in this role last year. I think he's a lot more impactful lining lining him up at X or at Z. But you'd still like to have somebody doing this job. Now, you could put Aaron Jones out there. Bo Melton is significantly faster and shiftier than Aaron Jones, even though we love Aaron Jones. Plus, you kind of would like to line Aaron Jones back up at running back on that same play. So you got... Christian Watson and Aaron Jones where you want them. And you can still have a guy like Melton playing that Tyler Irvin role, adding depth and complexity to that same offensive play. Paul Brittle writes, having a man in motion with playmaking abilities can create mismatches for the rest of the offense. Movement just before the ball is snapped forces the defense to adjust on the fly as it can change what some of the defender's responsibilities are. And it can also force the defenses to tip their hand a bit, which is valuable information for the quarterback. Once the ball is snapped, the defense then has to figure out who has the ball, the motion man or the quarterback. And that split second of hesitation can open up passing lanes and allow blockers to get into a better position. This is kind of a staple of the Matt LaFleur offense. Uh, Aaron Rodgers hated this. He kind of thought it was crap and was like, can we just quit doing the motion on every single play? Matt LaFleur's like, no. Can we please do more motion on every single play? I think this is an interesting idea. So, uh, during Brian Gutekind's and Matt LaFleur's years together, the two have often prioritized keeping their own draft picks when making these final roster decisions, which would make Grant DuBose the most obvious choice for a fifth or potential sixth roster spot at wide receiver. However, he has not been able to practice at all this entire offseason because he's sidelined with an injury, forcing him to play catch up and possibly creating an opportunity for another receiver to make the team. So even though Melton would have wide receiver next to his name, even though he'd be available for playing wide receiver snaps, You'd think of him more as Tyler Irvin. Now, he hasn't had any roles, you know, uh, any role as far as we know at Return Man, although I th- kind of feel like he should be considered for Punt Returner, maybe. But you have uh, Keyshawn Nixon and Jaden Reed, who you think are excellent at that job. So leave that part out of it and think about what Tyler Irvin did on offense. Or remember, what. Tyler Irvin was asked to do on offense and then was unable to do is why he was no longer on the team and why we then ventured into the era again of not having a returner because they just decided that it wasn't worth keeping a guy on the roster who was only a returner. And that's how you get the 2021 Packers special teams disaster. Just one of many, similar decisions that led to having that uh, completely decimated special teams roster. So I would say Melton still needs to see what he can do to work his way onto the field on special teams. I think that's going to be the, by far the most likely Avenue to making the roster, but I think the Packers should consider exploring a gadget role for him and using him in, Motion if they don't do that, then you're gonna see Romeo Dobbs doing that. you're gonna see Christian Watson doing it. you're gonna see Aaron Jones do it and i don't th- I don't think that I was overly impressed with what we saw from Dobbs and Lazard and uh Aaron Jones in terms of the uh gadget motion guy last year. It really feels like Christian Watson is kind of the only one who's really excelled at that over the last few years. I did like what we did with Tyler Irvin, but he just was a little too inconsistent there. Again, consistency is going to be the key factor for all these guys trying to make the roster, and uh, Bo Melton is absolutely no different. Final note, it's going to be quiet, more or less, here, until training camp, which begins on July 21st for the quarterbacks and the injured players. Everybody else reports on July 25th, four days later, and then first practice is July 26th. That's going to do it for today. I will talk to you all next week here on the Packard Podcast Network. You guys have a fantastic rest of your week.